Well, if you would take your Bibles this morning and go to Jeremiah chapter number 33. You and I live in a time awaiting the second coming of Christ. We would call that the second advent. Christ has already come, born a baby in a manger, and we call this the first advent. The word advent meaning the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Specifically, in our instance, used in, as associated with Christianity. And so as we approach Christmas Day and ready ourselves to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, I want us to go back in the Scriptures. We'll pause our study through Luke's Gospel and pick that back up after the new year. But I want us to go back in the Old Covenant Scriptures, back to a time when God's people would have awaited the first advent. Under the Old Covenant, what was it like to wait for the birth of the Messiah? I've titled a series of sermons that I want to give you in the next couple of weeks from these Old Testament texts, an Old Covenant Christmas. Maybe you're trying at your house to have an old-fashioned Christmas. Uh, so this will be the church's version of an old-fashioned Christmas. We're going to begin today in Jeremiah chapter number 33 in one of these prophetic texts about Jesus Christ, our Messiah. And we see here today a good thing promised. Let's read from verse 14 down through verse number 18. Jeremiah 33, 14. This is God's word. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And those days and at that time, which I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in, those, in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith she shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests of the Levites want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together in your word. May we glean from it. May we feed upon it. May it be like honey to our lips. Lord, we ask your blessing upon this time. Holy Spirit, illuminate the word to us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin in verse 14. So we see a good thing promised, and the good thing promised is that the days are coming. Notice again what he says there. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. Now, often in Jeremiah's prophecies, that was a negative phrase. Because if God were to tell Jeremiah, this is what I'm telling you, and you go tell the people, the days are coming. It wasn't a promise of something great. It was a promise of what? Judgment, destruction, desolation. But here these words are a wonderful positive. Now, you need to get the picture. Here in Jeremiah chapter number 33, Jeremiah, he's sitting in jail. This still, he's not sitting in jail. He's sitting in jail. That's better, right? I don't think that's what they would have called it in Jeremiah's day, in Jeremiah's time. That's what we say in the South, but boy, I really heard my... I was able to spend some time this week with some old friends from North, the North Georgia mountains, other preachers. And as I heard their accents, I said, oh, don't sound like that, do I? 
I asked a couple of you, I said, do I sound like that? They said, well, you're not quite as bad. So I'm a little self-conscious this morning. So if I'm talking with my chin down like this, it is because I want to sound intellectual. <laughs> so Jeremiah is not in jail. It's a one-syllable word. He's in jail. Is that right? Somebody say it the right way. Yeah, all right. Look at verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Ask me, he says, and I will tell you what you do not know. Now, Jeremiah is there already. He finds himself here locked away. He finds himself here not able to do the prophetic ministry that God has called him to do. He's asking, this is God's reply to him. Wonderfully, God replies this way as instruction for his people then and for his people us now. Jeremiah already knew of the coming destruction, but he didn't yet know of the coming days of glory. This is what God would now reveal to him. This is that good thing promised. God says to him, just ask me, Jeremiah. Ask me, I'll tell you. It's a wonderful thought. He's in jail. He's down and out. He's discouraged. Jeremiah had a discouraging ministry. He didn't get to tell happy things to God's people very often. He had to tell sad things. He had to tell mean things. He had to tell matter-of-fact things. So here he sits. And he personally is in a time of need, but God sees it as a time of need for His people as well. And Oh, what a comforting God we serve. What a gracious God we serve. As God says to him here, ask. You call unto me. Cry out to me and I'll hear you. And I'll tell you things that you don't know that you need to know. That'll be a help to you. That'll be a blessing to you. I wonder if we're praying like this. Do you call upon God and then listen as He shows you things? I was taught as a child that God's phone number was what? You were taught this too. What is God's phone number? Jeremiah. Yeah, 33.3. Okay, only me and a couple of us were taught that as a child. I'll teach you children here. If you need to call God, where do you call? Jeremiah 33.3. All right, never mind. We don't really use phone numbers anymore, do we? We have contact lists and you click somebody's name. God's phone number, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. As we think about praying and listening, I love to go back to 1 Kings chapter number 19. As the prophet there wants to hear from the Lord and verse 11 and 12 says, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. You know what it says. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Was the Lord in the earthquake? No, He wasn't. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Where was the Lord? A still, small voice. Mm. It's a wonderful thing. False religions. World religions. Overdone in institutionalized denominations 
all forms of man-made things would constantly be forcing you to, to, to have to have the earthquake and the fire. To have to have the strong wind. To, to see something magnificent happen to prove that your God is alive or that He's real. But inside every believer, Jesus has promised His Holy Spirit and His Holy Spirit indwells us. And what does it let us know? My God is real. He's alive. What a blessing. Do we pray with that kind of wisdom? Jesus' words from John 16 are also very helpful. John 16, verse 12 through 15. Jesus said this, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. (laughs) Different people in different time, but don't you wonder what that is? He says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Is that how you pray? Jesus is clear here. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Warren Wearsby taught that God's people don't learn the hidden things of the Lord by storming the gates through their own strength, but by seeking Him through believing prayer. I was thinking about this this week, and I, I, I admit to you that I don't always pray. But Paul said, praying in the Spirit. I always pray that way. Often I pray in routine. Often I pray in an intercessory way. Lord, help Mr. So-and-so. Lord, help Mrs. So-and-so. They're sick. They are in financial need. Whatever. I'm always, I like to pray that way. But one of the most refreshing and edifying things that we can do as believing saints is pray in the Spirit. But why would we not pray in the Spirit? What are some of the Spirit's roles? He convicts us. You see, it's not very convicting to pray in an intercessory way. This is not the sermon. I'm taking a little sideline here and I've got to stop because I've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. <laughs> I'm like Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah. North Georgia Mountain Preacher. See this? Good grief. It's convicting at times. Sometimes I don't want to hear. You can judge me if you want, but be honest with yourself. Sometimes I don't want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. It was, it was not an easy day when the Holy Spirit laid it upon my heart to sell my house, to sell my cars, to buy a used $3,000 Honda minivan with too many miles on it and pack up my family and move to Lynchburg, Virginia to go to Bible college as a 26-year-old. I was just... I mean, even my three or four-year-old Jack at that time knew it. In the moving truck as we left, I thought, he'll, he'll ride in the moving truck with Dad. This big 30-foot truck with a loud engine. He'll like this. And he cried for the first 100 miles. And I said, Jack, what in the world? Yeah, sorry, Jack. I didn't mean to embarrass you. He was little, though. He wouldn't cry now. He never cries now. Right, Jack? Never. Yeah. <laughs> so what in the world are you crying about? He said, Dad, <laughs> why couldn't you just go to college when you're a kid like normal people? And I said, yeah, you're right. Why couldn't I? Sometimes maybe we don't want to hear what the Holy Spirit would say. 
Why not? It's going to uproot your life. It's going to change your normal. It's going to cause you to do things you're not comfortable doing. I, I tell you, we are, we, are, we are mold people. I was watching y'all this morning. We got a new hymnal. It's a fine hymnal. It's a good hymnal. But as we were singing through a couple of those songs, I was mad at whoever's idea it was to get new hymnals. Urgh. I'm used to the lyrics of the old hymnal. And for whatever reason, in the new hymnal, there's a little bit of different lyrics. If you don't understand how that goes, down throughout history, hymns are written. They get published with different words. People make changes they think are good. Somewhere along there, way above in history, somebody has to decide which ones are the right ones or which ones are the best ones. And that's the way it goes. But one whole verse of crown him with many crowns, I never even heard before. Anybody with me there? I watched some of you squirm. You were like, what is this? This is different. This is new. I don't want to sing this. Seemed pretty doctrinal to me and fine. Had to figure out the, the timing of some of the words, but the rest is good. But we're this way with everything. Don't change my schedule. Don't change my routine. Don't change the things that I like. Don't take things away from me. Don't add things to me because here I am. Harold Leake said, let me sit here on my shelf and rust and gather dust until I die. We, we don't want to pray like this. Well, I tell you, you have a hard ministry like Jeremiah's. You find yourself jailed for your faith. Jailed. I'm going to go down to the hotel with my guitar and write a country song about jail. You find yourself in jail for your faith. It might change. I would encourage you to not get to that place. I would encourage you right now with the indwelled Holy Spirit, to pray in the Spirit, to rely upon it. Maybe you are there this morning. Maybe you feel bound. Like Jeremiah literally was here. Or maybe you feel like the land around you, the, the culture around you, the politics around you, even the religion around you are laid waste, desolate, without hope. Well, God's message is a wonderful comfort. The good thing promised is that the days are coming. He will fulfill the promise made to Israel and Judah. Note what he's told Jerusalem, those or Jeremiah, that those days would look like in Israel and Judah. In verse 10 and 11, he tells them there will be weddings. Thus saith the Lord, again, there shall be heard in this place, which you say, shall be desolate without man, without beast, even in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man, without inhabitant, without beast. Okay, so you're getting two pictures laid out here before you. God's already told Jeremiah, this place is going to be laid waste. No people, no animals, no structures, just going to be judged, scorched earth. But, verse 11, in that same place, later, there will be the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the voice of them that shall say, praise the Lord of hosts. So there will be weddings. You have this to look forward to, Jeremiah. Yes, there's going to be desolation, but later there will be weddings. There will be thanksgiving. That's the middle of verse 11. The voice of them that say, praise the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And of them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause them to turn the captivity of the land, as is the first, saith the Lord. Then verse 12, he says, there will be shepherds. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, again in this place, which is desolate, without man, without beast. 
And all the cities thereof, there shall be an inhabitation of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. These are things that you often miss when things are laid waste. If you're a shepherd and a foreign army is coming to lay things waste, do you worry about your sheep or your own life? The sheep can go for a little bit. I got to go fight. So shepherds become soldiers. And so God's prophecy to Jeremiah is sure. You're in jail. You're, you feel like you're, you're bound and you're hopeless. And you know that the destruction coming is just going to be horrible. But there's hope. There will be peace. There will one day again be weddings. Let's, I want to take a little time in these three verses. Think about weddings. Verse 10 says things will be desolate, but verse 11 says there'll come a time again where you'll hear the voice of the bridegroom. You will hear the voice of the bride, the voice of joy, the voice of gladness. There'll be singing. They'll sing praise the Lord of hosts for he is good. A wedding is an investment in the future. But these people had no hope of a future. God was about to judge them for their sins. In chapter 7, verse 34, in chapter 16, verse 9, in chapter 25, verse 10, He has told Jeremiah, I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of the bridegroom and bride in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, for the land will become desolate. You can imagine this in our time. Should an apocalyptic event cause social occasions to come to an end, there would be no wedding invitation sent. Marriage vows would not be exchanged. The cake would not be cut. The Holy Spirit uses this to comfort Jeremiah. You cried to me. I'm telling you something that you did not know about. The days are coming. I will fulfill my promise. One day, peace will return. Happy days would come again for the people of God. Grace will triumph over judgment. An example for evidence of this would be that couples make their wedding vows again and that there would be singing. We read about this promise being fulfilled in one of the Psalms. It became a, a national hymn for God's people. Psalm 126, verse 1 and 2. They sang, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. When? When God turned again our captivity. The blessing of marriage would return to God's people. The deserted towns and cities of Israel would then be repopulated from the fruits of those marriage vows. Another great indicator of peace is thanksgiving. Phil Riken says, A society in which people interrupt their regular routine to give thanks to God is a good society. Aren't you glad that we live in such a peaceful, prosperous society right now that we, we kind of have to be reminded? We have it so good that we have to be reminded, hey, we should be thankful. That's a blessed way to live. I mean, the, the alternative to that is things are so bad that you don't have time to be thankful. You only have time to say help. Or things so bad that when you get just a tiny bit of good that you're like, so thankful. 
Matthew Henry notes, speaking about the Puritans, they taught nothing is more to the praise and honor of a people than to have God praised and honored among them. When the Israelites were carried off to Babylon, they could no longer give thanks to God in Jerusalem. This was a big thing. But God promised that Thanksgiving celebrations would be reestablished in his temple. A portion of verse 11 is, is another psalm. It's Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So God prophetically tells Jeremiah here, hey, one day you all will sing this psalm to me. There will be thanksgiving. You will sing praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. In a very in a much, much lesser sense, you and I can wrap our minds around the joy of these words. In 2020, we were briefly unable to gather and worship our God. But on that first Sunday back, there was jubilation. It was a good thing. There were smiles all around. We were happy to see each other. We were happy to gather together and worship our God. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Amen. We were being caused to disobey the scriptures that we live by. It was an odd thing. So when we came back together, it was cause for praise. Well, you can imagine then, and that was a really in the grand scheme of world history, that was a minor thing. I don't want to undermine it. A lot of people got sick and a lot of people died. I don't, I don't mean to undermine that. But that's a little different than an entire country being laid desolate and only the best who are allowed to live being carried off to Babylon. It's a tiny bit different, right? You can imagine what it must have been like for those people. When they're finally able to return and reestablish and rebuild and get married and have children and farm again and keep sheep again. Oh, the jubilation. In the book of Ezra, we have a record of this. Ezra chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of King David of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because He is good. For His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was raised. What a wonderful thought. They're laying the foundation of the house of the Lord. And like a marching band in our day, the, the priests put on their vestures and they held their instruments of praise. And the people all together, what did they sing? Ezra says, they sang, praise the Lord. Give thanks unto the Lord because His mercy endureth forever. God comforts Jeremiah here with this good thing promise that the days will come. There will be weddings. There will be thanksgiving. There will be shepherds. When sheep may safely graze, it is a sure sign of peace. Soldiers would become shepherds once again. They would watch their flocks by night. They would count their sheep passing into the sheepfold. Now, this brings new information to the book of Luke. As we think about Luke's gospel and the, the telling of the birth of Christ, all of these things are mentioned again. The things they were waiting to happen so that Messiah would come and, and that was the beauty of it. Not the peace. Not the weddings. Not the thanksgiving. Not the, the agricultural and, and farming things. It was that when that happened, Jesus would be born. 
And what do we read about? Luke chapter 2. Joseph went also up from Galilee to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife. What, have, what are espoused people about to do? Yeah. There's weddings again. Chapter 2, verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. What were they doing? Counting their sheep. Verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. What were they doing? Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Chapter 2, verse 20. The shepherds, after they'd seen the baby, they returned. And what did they do? They glorified and praised God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Oh, the birth of Christ is so miraculous. It's so timely. Pastor Scotty talked to us this morning from Galatians when the fullness of the time had come. Think of all that had to go into this being fulfilled just as God said it would. And think of the comfort prior to this first advent that this brought Jeremiah and then the people who would hear his word. There's going to be desolation, but, but God has promised. There's a time coming again. We'll, we'll be married. We'll be offering Thanksgiving. That, that We'll just spend our time counting sheep. Now to me, that sounds horrible. Well, I mean, staying outside all the time. I like to be indoors. I like to be outside some. And watching sheep and keeping up with sheep. Shooting a wolf, that sounds cool. I could get into that part of it. But, this, but I'll be honest, if you gave me the choice, you want war or sheep herding, I'm going to sheep herd. A good thing was promised. It's nice to see the scriptures tie together, isn't it? This is not just randomness. It all works. The days will come. For you and I, we live in a time that the days have come and we're awaiting the second coming of our Lord. But, but we can often feel as if, boy, you know, in the last days, they said, Peter wrote, scoffers will come saying, where's the promise? of this coming Lord. We can almost become that way ourselves. We, we lose sight of it. We lose hope. We're going to take the Lord's table here in just a moment. One of the reasons we're commanded to take this Lord's table as we gather together is to look forward to His return. But it's easy to lose sight of that. Calvin wrote, the promises of God are not always so manifest that their effect or accomplishment is evident to us. I mean, think about Luke 2. You think those shepherds on that hillside that night were thinking, well, we're a fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. Probably not. You think Mary and Joseph, well, they're a little different. The angel had told Joseph and the angel had told Mary. They knew, they knew what was going on. They knew. She, that was amazing. But for you and I, we, we can lose sight of those things sometimes. Calvin goes on to say, but on the contrary, they may appear to be dead and void. The promises of God are not always so manifest. They may appear to be dead and void. When it is so, let us learn to exercise faith and patience so that our souls may not tremble. Though God's promises may not every moment manifest their power by being actually fulfilled, except we look forward to the days that are coming. 
Except our faith leans on the promises when they seem to lie dormant. It is not firm and has no roots or foundation. Drive deep roots into God's promises so that its firmness may not be in the air nor have a visible surface, but a hidden foundation. Praise the Lord. The days will come, verse 14 tells us, then verse 15 and 16 tell us that the king is coming. So the good thing promise is not just that the, the days will come. See, it's not about the days. It's not about the people that make up those days. Those are just signs of something else. The important thing was that the king would come. Look at verse 15. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in, those, in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith it shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Peace is only sustainable and possible under the right king. He would come when the peace had been restored to Israel. That's what we looked at. Marriages, thanksgiving, shepherds. But not just any king. And as God speaks to Jeremiah here and gives him this prophecy and tells him about these days that would come and tells him about this king that would come, he's very specific about who this king would be. Not just any king. He would be the rightful king. Where would he come from? Verse 15, I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. He would come from David's line. That promise came true. Matthew chapter 1 lays it out for us. I think there's 28 generations or so given there. Maybe it's 28 plus 14. But there's a lot of generations laid out there. We're, it's easy to be familiar with a lot of them. It's unique though that we even get those names that we would call kind of during this dark time. You're not, they're not like famous kings like David or Solomon or any of even the, some of the Rehoboam type names that we might know or not know about. Then there's these other, there's like 14 names there that are just given to us in Matthew. Why? To tie together that line of David to Christ. He fulfilled the covenant that God made with David. It was a promise that came true that one of David's sons would rule on the throne of Israel forever. He's the rightful king. God also tells him here in verse 15 and 16, he would be the just king. The end of verse 15 says, he will execute just judgment and righteousness in the land. That is a promise that came true as well. Jesus Christ is a just king. Matthew Henry says, he is righteous in enacting laws, waging wars and giving judgment. Righteous in vindicating those that suffer wrong and punishing those that do wrong. God also told Jeremiah he would be a victorious king. Verse 16, In those days shall Judah be saved and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. Which is another promise that he kept. He conquered all the enemies of God. Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ reigns supremely over sin. He reigns over death. He reigns over the devil. He brings peace and safety to the people of God. He protects them from eternal judgment. He protects them from the wrath of God. He would also have to be the righteous king of his people. It says she shall be called, this, this group of people, this nation, God's people, they shall be called what? The Lord, our righteousness. Jesus Christ is the king who gives his righteousness to his people. It's why we pray in Jesus' name. 
Because outside of Jesus Christ's righteousness, we have no access to, to God, to His throne. But because Jesus has given us, His people, His righteousness, we have access. So a good thing was promised. The days will come. The King is coming. Verse 17 and 18 then adds on to that. The kingdom is coming. For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests, the Levites, want a man before me to offer bone offerings and to kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. The kingdom of David would continue in perpetuity, eternally, forever. His dynasty would never end. The kingship would pass peacefully from one king to the next until a king came to rule over them forever and ever. Sproul said this promise is not finally to restore the monarchy, but to inaugurate the messianic kingdom. It's a point the people missed during Jesus' life. He wasn't there to establish an earthly kingdom. He was there to set up an eternal kingdom. I love the Messiah course this time of the year. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. We can at times lose sight of this. We can at times think, I don't know, is this ever going to happen? We begin to think God has failed us. Certainly during Jeremiah's life, this promised seemed untrue. Because kings failed them. Neighbors conquered them. From the human perspective of God's people, God was failing them. But from God's perspective, His kingdom was never in jeopardy. In fact, for the sake of that eternal kingdom, He was actually rejecting earthly kings and rejecting earthly kingdoms by allowing the neighbors to conquer them. Because they weren't the king. They were trying to have a kingdom unto themselves instead of projecting God's people through their leadership to His eternal kingdom. I'll quote you again from Phil Riken. He said, David failed and the sons of David may fail, but God Himself never fails. If ever you see a human in a God-given role fail, it's not God that has failed. It's the human that has failed. And God will work to His glory in spite of it. So in the fullness of time, to bring in this kingdom, the king was born. Jesus Christ was born as a king. Other kings came to worship Him. Kings from foreign lands, it took months to get to where He was. As a small child, they knelt before Him and they, they brought Him royal gifts. Then he suffered and he died as a king. Oh, the Romans, they did it in mockery, but they dressed him up like you would a king. They saluted him as a king. Hail, king of the Jews. And in the end, they submitted to the fact that surely this man was the son of God. To this very day, Jesus sits enthroned. He sits on the throne of David, just as Jeremiah promised that he would. He was raised a king to rule over the house of David forever. Jesus Christ is the king of the ages. 
God never fails. The troubles of life tempt us to believe that God fails. We experience loss and we suffer grief. We seem to have unanswered prayers. Situations change. Things we'd come to know as certain are up for grabs again all of a sudden. We're often tempted to think that God has failed us, but God never fails. His rule over the events of life never fails. He is working out all things for His glory and for the good of those who love Him. That's what God is telling Jeremiah here. Jeremiah sits there in in prison and God says to him, Jeremiah, you've cried out to me and my answer to you is, all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, who are the called according to His purpose. Jesus Christ, the hope of the ages, will reign supreme forever. And church, we're His kingdom. There's actually a little bit more here. He will also be our permanent priest. This is a wonderful thought. And, and, and I'll just bring eschatology into this, the doctrine of the end things. In the end, the one who will deceive the nations will be the one who is able to combine political and religious, governmental and religious. We've talked about that. My own personal theory, it's always a working theory, is that they'll, they'll finally be this Jewish pope. <laughs> that could be wrong. But you get the idea. You kind of have this, you have a world religion and then you have this world government, boom, and they sort of become one thing and it, it attracts the world. Why is that Satan's plan? Because that's God's plan. Isn't that funny? He's, he's going to try to rule and reign the world and all he can think of to do is what God already is going to do. Already has done. Aren't you glad you're on the Lord's side? It's wonderful. Jesus will not only be our eternal king, but he will be our eternal priest. He will combine the political and the religious from the human perspective. Verse 18, neither shall the priests, the Levites, want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. Again, Brother Scotty, what took us to Hebrews this morning. We have not a great high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And he's there making intercession for us night and day. He will never die. A great high priest was a wonderful thing as long as he was permanent. But when it came time for him to be replaced, you were without a priest until he was replaced. You were hopeful that he was replaced with an acceptable priest before God in the Holy of Holies, but but you never were sure. Well, well, our great high priest, he will never die. He will never have to be replaced. He will permanently be there. He has once for all become our atonement. Praise his name. I got to finish. Verse 19, 20, 21. This is sort of God going all in here. Notice what he says. It's, it's almost like starting in verse 19, God says, all right, Jeremiah, I could tell you're listening to me, but maybe I put you to sleep a little bit here. Maybe you're not getting the point. Or maybe I, I've talked to you about my covenant so much that you've lost sight of the fact that I actually keep my covenant. So verse 19, look what God says. And the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah saying, church, don't miss this. Thus saith the Lord, if you can break my covenant of the day, 
What is God's covenant of the day? Sun gets up every morning, doesn't it? Lights up the earth. And if you can break my covenant of the night, what's the covenant of the night? The moon. The sun and the moon. If you can break that. Now, can he break that? Can you break that? Oh, we can't. And that there should be not day and night in their season. Can we upset that? Oh, man. I'm mad at whoever changed words and hymnals this morning. And I'm mad at whoever said, let's change clocks. Good grief. Got dark at 4.30 yesterday. This is not a good idea. I say as a church, we just set all our clocks back and we just operate on regular time. <laughs> we, we can change clocks till we're blue in the face, but guess when the sun's going to come up? In the morning? <laughs> and guess when it's going to go down? Tonight. God's in charge of these things and we can't change them. This is what he says. He says, but if you could... Then, verse 21, then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant. <laughs> oh, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne with the Levites, with the priests, my ministers. God says, the sun will stop shining before Jesus stops reigning. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He'll never stop reigning. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our King. He is our priest. God has promised it. And He will never, ever, He will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Mm. This is a good thing promised. Jeremiah was in need of comfort. Jeremiah was needing to comfort God's people. God gave him this information with that purpose. The days will come when the king will come and establish his eternal kingdom. Now there's just one more point to note. Though God provided so great a comfort, only those willing to listen to his word through his prophet would have benefited from this information. I can imagine Jeremiah getting out of that prison, going out into the streets and saying, listen to what the Lord told me. And I imagine lots of people said, well, you're crazy. I don't believe you. I wish I could listen, but I don't have time. And what was he telling them? The very words of God. Oh, such a comfort to us right now. 2022, we look at this and we can kind of see the full picture and we say, wow. But I wonder, church, are there portions of God's word that we're not listening to now? God's word never fails. It's always helpful. It's always just what we need, but maybe you're not praying in the spirit because you just don't want to do what it is you think he's going to tell you. Maybe you're not giving yourself to the study of the word because maybe you're afraid of how it might change your life. Well, I'll tell you based off Jeremiah's record. It's only going to change it for the better. Let's pray.